You probably already know that maple syrup is sweet, and you might even know it comes from trees. But how do we get the syrup from the trees? How do maple trees make their syrup? Stick around after this episode for the answer. But Why is supported by Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is But Why, a podcast for curious kids from Vermont Public. I'm Jane Lindholm. On this show, we take questions from curious kids just like you, and we find answers. Have you ever sent us a question? We have more than 12,000 of them. We're always sad that we can't answer them all, but we love hearing from you. And it helps us figure out what you're thinking and wondering about, even if we don't get a chance to answer your specific question. Which brings us to today's topic— Until just a few years ago, we had barely ever heard of the animal we're going to be learning about today. And then all of a sudden, we started getting questions about it, and we've been seeing them everywhere. Well, not really everywhere, given that the real live wild creatures of this species live only in one place in the world. One lake and its canal and river tributaries in Mexico. Do you have any idea what this animal might be? You'll find them in children's books and stuffed animals. Some people even keep them as pets. Their pink color and permanently smiling mouths have people fascinated. Do you know yet? They're axolotls. These large salamanders are native to Lake Xochimilco in Mexico City, but they're critically endangered. Only about a thousand of them currently live in the wild in the lake and canal system there. That means they're almost extinct. Well, they're almost extinct in the wild, but not in captivity. Axolotls are frequently used in scientific research. In some places, they're even kept as pets. I've been trying to figure out how many there actually are in captivity, and I can't find a source that I trust, but some of the sources I'm reading say as many as a million axolotls are alive in labs, zoos, and aquariums. And even if we don't know the exact number, it's safe to say there are many, many thousands, enough to have a very stable, captive population. We wanted to learn more about these fascinating creatures and why they're so interesting to scientists as well as kids. So we virtually visited a lab at the University of Kentucky, where the lead scientist there showed us row after row of tanks, each with an axolotl staring out from inside. They all have like um, their own personalities. So they'll follow you around. They always beg for food. See, like this one right here just saw me. (laughs) That one even snapped. (laughs) My name is Randall Voss. I'm a professor at the University of Kentucky, and I direct a very unusual animal resource, a stock center, we call it, that has lots and lots of axolotls. And when he says lots, he means it. We have thousands. So what you just saw were some axolotls in my personal lab. A lot of those are axolotls that I've kind of created. 
um, by modifying genes. And then across the hall, we have what's called the stock center. And that's a breeding population. Its pedigree goes back to 1932. Originally collected, their ancestors originally collected in the 1800s. So an axolotl is a salamander. And, you know, salamanders are amphibians. These are kind of special because they were first discovered in Mexico, where they originated, and they were brought into the lab over 150 years ago. And it turned out that they uh, are really good laboratory animals. They're kind of like little water dogs in some sense. And so scientists have been studying them ever since. If you've never seen an axolotl, they grow to about 10 inches long. They're usually brownish green in the wild, but they can also be white or pink. They have a nice frilly set of gills on their heads and a long body and four kind of stumpy legs. And their faces are really cute with a permanent smile and two dark dots for eyes, kind of like a smiley face drawing. Axolotls in the, their so-called adult phase look like a child. If you were thinking of like a child in a salamander's life, salamanders are born in water. And their first stage of life, they're called larvae and or tadpoles. But in that stage, they typically have gills to breathe in the water. And so those are really kind of frilly um, attachments to the side of their heads. And, um, you know, they have a moist skin being in water. They have a killed tail fin to swim, etc. But then What's unusual about the axolotl is that they never really go through a puberty. They never go through a metamorphosis. Okay, so they don't lose that teenage look, that young look, and move out onto land like a lot of amphibians do. So you think about frogs, they go from tadpoles to to adults, which leave their ponds and hop around as, as frogs. Well, axolotls don't do that. They stay in water throughout the course of their life. And it's, so that's very unique. And they do grow little legs. They do grow little legs. And, you know, their ancestors were tiger salamanders. Wait, I'm going to let Porter jump in here. I am from Atlanta, Georgia, and I want to know, what did axolotls evolve from? Their ancestors were tiger salamanders, and tiger salamanders typically do undergo a metamorphosis, Okay. So they have all the kind of characteristics of their ancestors, but they just don't go into that next stage, that terrestrial stage of life. Tiger salamanders can be found all over North America. At some point, way back in time, the population of tiger salamanders in these few lakes in Mexico evolved or changed to be different, making them a separate species. Tiger salamanders and most other amphibians go through a big body change. They start out as eggs, and then they become tadpoles. But then they grow legs and change their lungs into gills and even sometimes lose their tails and move on to land for their adulthood. Axolotls stay in the water, and they look pretty much the same their whole lives once they're out of their eggs. It was that unusual ability not to change that first made Randall Voss want to study them. My first contact with axolotls, and the reason I got interested in axolotls was because of this non-metamorphosis trait that we talked about earlier. Um, I wanted to, to identify the genes that actually were changed 
from the ancestor that metamorphosed to lead to this non-metamorphic condition. And then obviously more recently, we've been studying tissue regeneration because axolotls are the champions of regenerating lots of their their uh, organs. So they could, whole organs can be regenerated in the axolotl. And this is fascinating because... You know, maybe some of us listening have heard about things like a starfish can lose one of its limbs and regrow it or other salamanders. Or sometimes when I was a kid and I was visiting Florida, people said, don't pick up the lizards by their tails because they'll drop their tail. But don't worry, they can regrow one. But it was still a little bit alarming to me to think about. And what you're saying is axolotls can regrow things, too, but not just a foot or a leg, they can actually regrow their spine? They can regrow organs? I mean, how do they do that? Well, um, that's something that we still don't fully understand, but there's a lot of research that's ongoing to figure that out. We're beginning to understand that maybe salamanders have a little more what's called plasticity in their cells. So if you think about the problem of regenerating an arm, for example, if you lose an arm, the stump that remains has to have the ability to start a repair process that then fills in all the missing elements that was removed when the limb was removed or was amputated. That means the body would have to be able to regrow not just skin or not just bone, but skin and bone and blood vessels and muscles and fingers and all the other things that go into making an arm that can work as an arm. Human bodies can't do that, but salamander bodies can. So there's this amazing ability to kind of like, first of all, heal and then mount this new developmental response that ultimately leads to, you know, completely replacing the lost body part, in this case, the limb. And so genetically, a lot of people think that what's going on is they're able to kind of go back in time, the cells themselves. Wait, salamander cells can go back in time? Kind of. What Randall Voss is saying is that even though the salamander cells have grown into all these different types, muscle cells or skin cells or whatever, they can sort of back up to before they had become specialty cells, to what they were like early in the development of a salamander embryo, before it was even born. So they kind of all get together, and it's like, hey, I know you already had a role in this body, but we need to regrow a limb, so let's all forget which team we were on and start again. Who wants to be a muscle cell? Okay, you all start making a new arm muscle. Who wants to turn into bone? All right, you start making bone. Now we need skin. Who wants to be skin? And so on. And then they make new bone cells and skin cells to make sure there are all the parts needed to recreate the missing limb. That's amazing. And it's not something humans can do. We can't regrow a whole arm or a new brain. But you might be surprised to learn that humans do regenerate some of our tissues. We're just not as good as an axolotl or starfish. Yeah, I think you're right. So we do a lot of regeneration. So our liver can replace liver cells. And they do that because there are a few stem cells within the liver compartment that can make new liver cells. And obviously, we're replacing our skin all the time. So we have these stem cells in the dermal, epidermal part of our skin that are constantly dividing 
and then making new epidermal cells. And so that happens. But we don't have cells that in our bone that can do what, you know, the cells in a, a deer can do and replace its antlers, you know, every year or so like that. That's a pretty amazing feat to actually grow antlers. It would be amazing if we had our bone cells could do some type of organization like that and regrow a finger. But yeah, we just can't do that. Salamanders can. And that's what you want to figure out. How how do they do that? And then to what end so that maybe we could figure out how to help humans too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if we can learn, like, for example, that really early part. So if if you have an injury and the misfortune of possibly losing a finger or two or even a whole arm, can we figure out what are the the inductive kind of like signals that normally happen in a salamander that get that process going in the right direction? Can we mimic that and engineer that same kind of response, say, in the human? And do you think there is going to be a day when a human could regrow their arm if they lost it? It's possible. I, I think, you know, there's a bigger, almost every year, there's more and more push to move our research community and our field forward. Wow. That would not only be cool, but it would be really important to people who have lost limbs or who need to regrow other parts of their bodies. Coming up, axolotls can't really regrow their brains. Can they? This is But Why. I'm Jane Lindholm, and today we're learning about a very cool type of salamander called an axolotl. That's A-X-O-L-O-T-L, by the way, in case you want to know how to spell it. Axolotls not only look cool, but if they lose a body part, they can regrow it, good as new. And axolotls do tend to lose body parts quite a lot. In the water, when they're first developing, there's like a super high probability that one of your brothers or sisters is going to either intentionally or accidentally bite your leg off, okay? And it's just, there's so many of your siblings in the same habitat with you, their scramble competition for food and things happen sometimes. And it's not, I don't think all purposeful. I mean, they really are crammed into a habitat and they're snapping up little zooplankton and food in front of themselves and occasionally a limb gets snapped up too. So they're going to lose a limb. That's Randall Voss. He studies axolotls at the University of Kentucky, where they have a whole lab that breeds these amphibians. They have thousands. Dr. Voss is studying how axolotls are able to regrow their body parts in the hope that it can give us ideas for how to help humans when we get injured and lose an arm or a leg or need to regrow some of our organs. But why is it that some animals can do this and some can't? Dr. Voss says regeneration is really helpful in the animal kingdom, but it's especially helpful for animals like salamanders that start out in a group of hundreds of eggs. With so many siblings snapping up a brother or sister's foot or a leg, it's kind of necessary to be able to regrow that leg if you want to survive into adulthood. Other animals, like mammals, which we are, are more separate, growing up in a mother's womb or in a smaller group. And it's not that regeneration wouldn't be great, because it would be, but there might be other advantages that are even more important. So it's kind of a trade-off. 
While we're talking about regeneration, Killian is wondering, How do axolotls regrow parts of their brains? I am 10 years old and I live in Derby, Kansas. So it's thought that there are these specialized stem cells, okay, in the brain that have the ability to remake new neurons, okay? So they are waiting. Once there's the injury, they get activated, they can proliferate, and then they can differentiate into neurons and even some of the glial cell types that we find in the brain. So is regeneration the same no matter what kind of part of the body is being regenerated? It's different cells, but it's the same thing? No? No. And it can it seemingly can vary with the tissues that make up, say, a particular organ. So we know that the way the muscle cells go about regenerating can be very different than how the bone and the cartilage goes about regenerating. But and then and then in some wacky way, they all those cells have to work together, right? Because the final product is something that looks almost like the original. One more question while we're talking about axolotls. My name is Caroline. I live in Shelburne, Vermont. My age is eight. My question is, can axolotls live out of water? If so, how long can they? No. I mean, they can for just uh, brief periods of time, but their skin is really moist. They have a, a mucus that they secrete to keep their skin moist all the time. And so, yeah, it would be bad to to take an axolotl out of water. Kind of like, you know, any of the other animals that you see that are living in water, right? A lot of those, they, they've developed gills. They can't breathe. They can't get that oxygen from the air. They have to get the oxygen from the water. Their skin is really absorb, absorbing. And so, you know, your, your own hands can really damage some of those amphibians by handling them too. Absolutely. Just like a fish. You don't want to take your goldfish out of the tank. Okay. The super-absorbent skin of amphibians makes them really sensitive to changes in their habitats, especially to pollution. And that's a problem for the very few axolotls left in the wild. Their habitat has been destroyed in Mexico. And there are some people that are working really hard to preserve that habitat. Because in that habitat, it's not just the axolotl that's potentially going to go extinct. There are other rare and unusual organisms that are part of that habitat as well, too. You know, the, the kind of message that I like to to put out there, especially for children, because they're going to grow up and change the world, hopefully, is to, you know, be ecologically minded and stewards of the environment and, you know, be aware that there are a lot of animals out there that need our help and protection. Maybe all the interest in how axolotls can regrow parts of their bodies will help protect the ones that are still alive in the wild. And not just axolotls. Think about all the fascinating creatures we can learn so much from and about as long as they're still alive. You never know where the next great innovation in the world might actually come from. Thanks very much to Dr. Randall Voss at the University of Kentucky for helping us learn about the fascinating axolotl. If you want to see a video of a few of the axolotls in his lab, we have one up on Instagram and TikTok. Have your adults help you find us. Our handle is butwhy underscore kids. If you have something you'd like us to investigate on this show, have an adult record it. It's easy to do on a smartphone using a voice recording app. Then you can email the file of you asking your question to questions at butwhykids.org. But Why is produced by Melody Beaudet and me, Jane Lindholm, at Vermont Public. 
We're distributed by PRX. Our theme music is by Luke Reynolds. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new episode. Until then, stay curious. Remember our question from just before this episode started about how trees make maple syrup? Well, here in the Northeast, especially in Vermont and Quebec, sugar makers are hard at work making this sweet treat. But it doesn't come out of the tree quite like it looks when you pour it onto your pancakes. For our series about Northeast ecology, we visited a local sugar maker named Brandon Mansfield to find out how it's done. Yeah, so this is where the magic happens. So from the holding tank, it goes through my reverse osmosis machines. This concentrates it down. Instead of boiling that 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of syrup, instead it only takes four gallons of this concentrated sap to make one gallon of syrup. So there's a lot more sugar in that concentrated four gallons. A lot more sugar, yep, okay. exactly. Next it moves into the evaporator, and this is where actually the water is boiled off. And so you end up concentrating even more to become closer and closer to syrup goes through a series of chambers in here, and eventually the end product is pure maple syrup. If you want to learn more about maple and trees, we've got a video all about it. It's part of our video and curriculum series for schools and homeschoolers, but why adventures? In this monthly series, we learn more about what's happening outside and offer curriculum and activity guides for all kinds of students. Find out more at butwhykids.org nature. From P.